Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of Rail and Ramble here on Anchor. Good morning, guys. I say good morning because it is morning where I am. So, good morning. I don't know where the conversation is going to go today, guys. There are things that are on my mind. Um, a lot of things, actually. Um, so I don't know which fault is going to fall up first. And this is usually um, stuff I pontificate within my head before I do a recording. But today, it is likely a full stream of consciousness. So I just, you know... Bear with me as we go. We tumble down this this hole and I think there are so many, like I said, so many things on my mind that I'll try not to segue too much um, and stay focused. But um, yeah. So I hope you all are well. Everything is, you know, copacetic in your lives. If not, you know, try to hang in there. That's that's my word of encouragement for you. Try to hang in there. Stay positive. Know that you can achieve and accomplish anything that you're working on, that you're trying to do. That the the dark or heavy times you may be experiencing, just try to find and focus on some light in your life and um, keep moving toward that. I am a firm believer that the more you focus on the good... Um, you elevate those things that are positive in your life in some way or fashion. Eventually, the darkness does fall away. Does it happen overnight? No, but it does happen. And before you know it, you're looking out on the other side of the terrible hardship you're going through, the pain you're going through. And you're like, wow, I don't even know how I made it out of that. I don't know when I made it out of that, but... It's not that way anymore and there is a semblance of freedom or a an escape route now or a opportunity to escape. Um, so my thoughts and well wishes and, and I do pray people. So when I say prayers, it, I mean it. And my prayers are with all of you out there who are facing some major challenges in your life, big or small. If they're a challenge to you, then they are real. And that's one of the things, okay, to, to touch on. I am already breaking off from what I wanted to say, but I, I will say this. Just because your situation may not be as devastating um, to somebody else, you know, um, having a bad day at work versus somebody struggling to make ends meet, you know, or someone fighting illness or anything like that. Everybody has pain. Everybody. Everybody has a lack. Everybody has a sadness. Everybody has a longing for more or hoping and wishing something was better. That something wasn't broken. That something wasn't empty. That something wasn't marked or or just lost in their lives. No matter how wealthy and accomplished and, and well-versed you are to 
how low and lack of means and bottom of the barrel you may think you are compared to somebody else. You who may think you have nothing may have the richest life compared to somebody else who has everything on paper. Somebody who could have, you know, houses and cars and the ability to fly and travel and jump on their own private plane or, you know, spill out loads of money and wear baubles of jewelry and eat the finest food, drink the finest drink and, you know, lay around in lavish luxury. You think, my God, what a incredible life to live. What a uh, envious hope and dream of a life that person must have. And that person could be the most miserable person in the world. That person could be somebody who is constantly thought of just running away from it all or, or disappearing or wishing that they had none of those things. It could be around, like a noose around their neck, like an albatross weighing them down. It could be such a burden, such an obligation, such a uh, bondage to live that life, to wear those faces, to be around those types of people. Um, and yeah, you could say cry me a river. But that's my whole point. Often we compare our situation to somebody else's. And if somebody else's situation looks better than ours, we think, get out of here. What are you complaining about? You got the life. You sound so ungrateful, man. You know, there are people out here starving. There are people out here who don't even know where they're going to get their next meal. People who can't even clothe their kids or have running water or have a functioning toilet. And you're crying about your life. Yeah. And yeah, that person has a right to cry about their life. I'm sorry. It's true. I have been on both sides of that spectrum. Uh, feeling like, oh, I don't know if today is the day that we're going to go under. I don't know. Today might be the day where, um, you know, we're just not going to make it. But I should, I should preface that to say, but my faith, I have had moments on paper where it looked like, when I say on paper, I mean... Everything, you know, someone looked at everything stacked out, written against you, like on a piece of paper. They're like, wow, you guys are about to crash and burn. Nothing good can come of your situation. So on paper, it looked really bad. And a part of me may have felt truly hopeless. But thankfully, for me anyway, everybody has their own strength system. But for me, mine was uh, my faith when I had literally nothing else, when I could not look to anything else physical in this world that could help me, um, take me out of a situation, elevate me, move me forward. All I had was my faith, right? All I had. When I say the walls were closing in on me from the sides and the top and the bottom, and I felt like I was just going to be swept under the wave, the tide of misfortune. All I had was my faith. And with that, I was able to survive and to move on and actually thrive in my life. But when you're in that situation and you're like holding on by your bloody nails, you know, gripping to anything you can just to hold yourself up and you see somebody who's got it easy, you despise that person with a vehement, like, hate. A hate of their ignorance to what someone like you might be going through. And are you justified in your feeling of rage and anger and hate and, like, 
you know, look at you so ungrateful. Yeah, you could be because all you know is your situation and what you're going through in your pain. But on the flip side, also being in a place I have been in my life where you've had everything going your way. Money and, you know, means and um, anything you want, you have. Anything you, you want to have, you can get. There's nothing good that is withheld from you. You can spend money without thinking about it. Money is nothing to you when you are living a successful, quote unquote, successful life or a life of luxury, right? You don't, you're elevated in the sense of things when you can walk into a store and just buy stuff. You don't know what it costs. You don't know what you paid for. You just, I saw it. I liked it. I got it. I walked out. When you don't look at price, when you don't ask someone, um, you know, details about the product, you just see it and you want it. You know, when you go into a grocery store and you just fill up your cart with whatever, you tell people to get whatever. When you can just say, hey, you know what? I feel like going someplace hot. Let's go overseas or, you know, to the Caribbean or let's take a cruise or, you know, let's fly someplace. And you can just do that at the drop of a hat and take an entourage. Yeah, you're living a boss life. And I have been in that position around people who have been in that position. I was there both to experience the the um, the favor and the joys of it to enjoy the the luxury and the privilege of it, to feel the sun on your face in a whole nother way. I mean, man, when you have it like that, the sun feels differently. It feels luxurious. It feels uh, silky-like. I don't know, some, some hot, warm decadence of, you know, pleasure. Like this hot sun is only beating down on you. And it feels good. Like, I don't know how else to describe, but you do feel elevated. You feel like the world is your oyster. Nothing is withheld from you. It is an awesome feeling. However, that whole situation, as I said, can be a noose around your neck because... For all the privilege, all the money, all the accessibility, all of the, you know, devil may care attitude and living on the, the fat of the land, if you will, it all that comes with a price, comes with a price. The price is being unsatisfied. Isn't that strange? Having everything and being able to consume everything and still never being satisfied. You can never drink enough wine. You can never eat enough good food. You can never have enough sex. You can never do enough drugs. You can never go enough places, have enough things. You can never be surrounded by groups of people who want to just look at you and praise you and clamor around you because of your influence and power. Because all those things become empty to you. Begin to ask yourself, ugh, I'm drinking this drink. Is there something else? I'm I'm not getting 
buzzed anymore. I'm not getting nice anymore. I'm not getting drunk anymore. It's just there. You get tired of it. You get tired of the nice clothes and you think these things are ugly and who cares? You get tired of the good food. You're like, ugh, I'm tired of eating filet or lobster. I'm tired of eating, you know, um, prime rib or, you know, tenderloins and bone and thick pork chops that you could like lay bricks with. You know, I'm tired of trying, um, you know, new exquisite cuisine. I'm, I've got escargot, you know, filling up in my pantries and things like that. People can get tired of those things. They get tired of it, right? Because they have it. When you live so penultimate, if you will, those things begin to lose meaning because you have them every day, all the time at your disposal. People around you all the time, what before you loved having company, you look around, you're like, oh, I'm tired of their faces, their voices. Why are they here? What do they want? Everyone wants something from me. Everyone wants to take something from me. Oh, I don't feel satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with the food, my clothes, my friends, my home, where I go, what I do. I'm not satisfied with myself. What am I doing with my life? Who am I? I feel like I just exist in this place and these things and all these things mean nothing to me and these people who have everything begin to realize that they have nothing at all and they cry and they feel like prisoners and they're trapped in their their gilded cages driving around their nice cars and their baubles of jewelry and all those things and they would gladly give that up some of them just to feel an ounce of true joy true pleasure or the the possibility of like having to go and work for something to earn something to do something with their bare hands to add something to themselves a a, a skill that no one can take from them that they have alone not something they bought not something that they um were given not something they acquired through a purchase but something they had to cultivate and learn on their own knowledge of something that is as basic as enjoying simplicity. And having to make a decision about what can we manage and what can we afford. I have had friends who have cried because they've had everything. Except the love of their parents. The love of their spouse. The time of their spouse. Oh, we have everything. We have this house and everything's so great, but... I never see my husband. He's never home. He's always working. And then after a while, that person starts thinking, is their husband miserable with their life? And they're actually seeking comfort with somebody else because the person who they're married to, they may now associate with this stressful life. Like, oh, I have to keep this life up because, you know, she's part of this life and, you know, uh, accommodating our life and, uh, we have kids or maybe they don't have kids, but they want to try for kids. And, you know, this person may be thinking like, oh, my God, this isn't the life I want to live anymore. Working around these people. And, yeah, I make a good wage. But, you know, what? I'd much rather be like, I don't know, making pottery. Like I, these people have struggles is my point. Rich people have struggles. Obviously, poor folk have struggles, but poor people can be very wealthy 
compared to those who are rich financially, right? So the whole point of this whole spiel of what I just said is that everyone's struggle is real. Whether you can relate to it or not, it is real, okay? I, even as a person of color, I've said this before, um... I've said it before that I'm a person of color. That's what my point is to you. But I love everybody. I respect everybody. Every background, every faith, every religion, every, um, you know, orientation. Whatever you're trying to do with your life, do you. I am nobody's God or anything like that. There was a saying my birth mom used to say to me. Um, She would say, I have no heaven to put you in and no hell to take you out of. Like, I have no power over anything that you are doing. All I can do is respect you as a human being and expect that you respect me in that same way back and just be a decent individual, right? To you and the next person I need. And I sow those seeds and I hopefully will get those same seeds back. But I bring up the person of color with it, saying to say even... In the realm of the climate that we live in, in our current country here in the U.S., things are tumultuous at times. In some areas, really bad. Some areas, like bliss, right? But that can be anywhere worldwide. The U.S. is not unique in this way. And there are divisions amongst the people of a nation, just like any place else, right? Um... And there is, of course, dark past and history of a country like any place else. And here within the U.S., one of the major things besides the um, invasion and genocide of Native peoples, whether people want to call it that, that's what it was at the time back then. I mean, how else do you call it? People come to your country that you've already lived in, they just take it over. Today, we would call that an invasion, right? But that happened. So that's one dark scar on this country. The next would be slavery, you know, and there are others, but these two are, you know, paramount to one of the biggest, as people say, sins of this nation. Now, that being said, of course, there are very strong racial positions on both sides of it. You know, some people feel one way, some people feel another way. To me, I will always say the enslavement of anybody is wrong. The enslavement of any people and the oppression of any people is wrong and is a crime, right? It just is. It just is. There's there's no other rationale for it. Now, we are hundreds and hundreds of years away from that, but the oppression remains. And also within that oppression, there are people who are of non-color, who are some white folks who feel like they have been slighted and pushed to the side because of all the, um, I guess, quote unquote rectifications toward people of color for all the systematic years of abuse, right? Which there can never be a true rectification, but what there can be is a acknowledgement this happened. It was terrible. Our systems have been set up in this country to hold people down who are non-white and we need to work to change that and we need to get equality and justice for everyone. If that conversation could be had and move on, I think a lot more people of color would be able to move on 
a little bit more smoothly. Like, yes, thank you for acknowledging this terrible thing happened to us. Thank you for acknowledging that the systems in this country have been set up to work against folks that look like us. Now that we've acknowledged that, what can we do to fix it and to make sure this is a nation for all of us, that we can all push this great nation forward to be the very best that it could be, right? That would be the most wonderful way, I think, personally, for all of us to move on. Does it change anything that happened to us? No, of course it doesn't change anything, but what it does do is open up the doorway for a new horizon for all of us, all people of this country, to move forward, right? And saying that, I don't agree with people, some people of color who say that, oh, white people ain't got nothing to be upset about these people crying out here, um, you know, and some of these rural communities and things like that. And, um, who say that they're being left behind. They don't know what it's like to be left behind. Okay. Listen, when I was younger, I could like, you know, toe that line, like, yeah, 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 yeah. What are they crying about? You know, they never been slaves. They've never been, but you know, guess what? I was never a slave. Okay. I was never a slave. My people were slaves. That's true. I have documentation of that. They sure were. It was a terrible, terrible crime. Me being here, um, today, that could be, uh, in a way, divine intervention, a terrible situation that later panned out for me and my family to live in the freest place on earth, right? So that's one way to look at it. But, you know, it happened. It's sad. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. I could cry right now thinking about all the loss, all the tragedy of it. But I myself have never been a slave. Thank the Lord. But I can only imagine what that was like for people like me. And there are still people like me who today are still not safe um, in some parts of this country. Right? Um, That being said, I still don't brush off the need of other people who are saying that they are struggling. And these people who are in these rural communities who are, there are sometimes folks who are uh, rolled up in a collection of folks who are not good people, right? But there are people, again, in the colored community, and I say colored, I say that vastly. I don't mean that um, in a derogatory term. I mean colored, like brown and black folks. You know, there's a bunch of people of different color. Brown, black, and yellow folks, I will say that, okay? Who um, don't have the best intentions toward non-colored people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for every good in one group, there's bad. And that goes on both sides. So that being said, and I'm not doing a both sides things. I know that's such a trigger for everybody, but that's not what I mean. Hear me out. You can be in all of us as think about yourself. In you, there is both light and dark. You can't say that there's not because without it, you would not be balanced. You would not have the rationale to see, um, happiness and sadness. There there are both sides within all of us. So that means even in these communities um, of white folks and, and brown, black, and yellow folks, we have light and dark in all of us, which means not one group is monolithic to the other group, right? There, there's no one feeling fits all of us. So my point is that I feel for some of these rural white folk, okay, 
who they have interviewed over the years and and I've known some personally so this is not just off of a tv thing like I know some real white folks from North Carolina okay not family friends or anything I happen to meet them over my life and know them and they're good people yeah okay their political affiliations whatever it is you know it leans to the right fine but that's not where I met them. That's not where I understood them. It wasn't about their political affiliations. I met them as a human being. And when I met them, yeah, they talked about, yeah, you know, we, um, our people, you know, well, they say our people, they say, you know, well, they when they say our people, they were talking about their family. Down South, they say that, like my people, because um, my, black, uh, my black family says, you know, oh, you know, our people, you know, that's my people. That's your people right there. Those are our people. That's our family. That's how we say people, you know, in that way. So anyway, um, this white family I had met. Uh, because my mom was living in, my birth mom was living in North Carolina at the time. These were neighbors of hers. Um, and she had just like recently moved to that area. So it's not like they were fat, you know, friends or anything like that. They had later become fast friends, but at the time they were not. Um, and so we were helping mom move and stuff. And, you know, at first from a distance, they looked like people that you would just stereotype as, oh, look at them looking at us saying, oh, got some black people moving in over here in our neighborhood. You know, that's the story we started generating in our head before we even spoke to these folks. And I saw the man standing out there on his porch and watching us and everything. And it made me feel uncomfortable. You know, I was like, oh, this is the South. And this is about to be some crap right here. Right? I can see it now. And I kept saying to my mom, you sure you want to live here? Um, you got these white folk over here, uh, watching you on the porch and everything. She's like, well, she goes, ain't no matter. This is what we say now, you know? So we just gotta, I stay on my side. They stay on their side. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I could live like that every single day. She's like, well, baby, we gotta do what we gotta do. This is what we can afford. Uh, so this is what we stay in. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, the, the white family was in and out of their house throughout the day watching and stuff and sitting on their rockers and they had their drinks and stuff and tea or or lemonade or whatever they had and so we were putting stuff out on the curb and I realized I was like well when is garbage day or is there a pickup day and then you know my mom and her husband didn't know so I didn't just want to leave trash out you know what I'm saying so I was like well crap I'm going to go over here and ask this man because I didn't want my mom getting a fine for like trash or something leaving on the side of the road. She had barely any money to get this house for a rental. Um, she's definitely not going to have money to pay an extra bill of like a trash fine or a ticket or something. So, you know, I sucked up my <laughs> courage, if you will. And I went over there because, you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I went up and I, yeah, I Walked up to their porch and, well, not right to their porch. I walked up to the, um, across the street and it was, it's one of those, um, it's not even like, um, a neighborhood street. It's just like a couple houses on each side of the road. Um, just blacktop. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a little development, but it's not a development. You know, if you, if you haven't been down South in certain places, you just don't know. These are like. Yeah, anyway, there was a roadway. I crossed the roadway, got to their sidewalk, and I stood down by the sidewalk, you know, I didn't walk up um, to the porch or anything. I said, um, excuse me, excuse me. And, you know, 
they watched me walk across the street to the area, so they knew I was obviously coming. And uh, they just sat there and they looked at me for a while. And so I, they didn't respond when I said, excuse me, but look, I'm staying in front of you, so obviously you know I'm here. Anyway, I said, excuse me, um, how y'all doing today? Because I learned that in the South, you need to greet people, you know, personally. Um, coming from New Jersey, it's more of a like, what's up, what you looking at? Why are you over here in my space? Like, get it, get from around here type attitude. Like, what you want? Do I know you type attitude? But in the South, you can't do that. So, um, thankfully, having family from the South, I know at least how to operate in some way. So I said, um, anyway, how y'all doing today? It's a beautiful day today, isn't it? And, you know, they're rocking. They're like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice, it's a fine day. I said, yeah, it is. I said, well, uh, my name is, you know, Jay. And um, that's my mom there. You know, she's just now moving in. Uh, so I'm trying to get her settled and everything. And um, she really is excited to be living here in this neighborhood and everything. She said, it's really nice. And uh, she loves this house. I said, um, y'all have some nice houses out here. And they looked up and down the block. You know, they didn't say too much about it. And I said, well, listen, I just wanted to ask you if you don't mind, we don't have an um, idea of what the, the trash pickup is here yet. Uh, would you be able to tell me uh, if we can leave this cardboard out here, if, if there's a recycling place I can run it to, or, um, you know, is there someone who comes and pick it up? Uh, I just don't want to leave trash outside, you know, and dirty up your neighborhood or anything, um, or to miss the trash day if I know it's coming. And so then I can let my mom and her husband know, um, you know, so I, and I was like, I really would appreciate that. You know, they just stared at me for a while and uh, the woman looked like she was kind of stank in the face, right? Like, what you doing here? But then the man was like, uh, well, you know, trash come uh, twice a week and uh, recycling is every other week. So, yeah, if she put the cardboard out there, you know, they'll come and gather up the cardboard and everything. But that's not until, um, you know, a few days from now. Now, you can either leave your cardboard out here. Uh, but you got to worry about, you know, wind and rain and, and weather and stuff. And then it's going to be a, a mess. But uh, if she's able to, uh, you know, bring it back out later, that'll probably be the best bet where she could just get rid of it and stuff. I said, okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And, you know, the woman still didn't say anything. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just going to step off. Yeah, at least I did it. And um, as I was turning around and walk away... The woman was like, well, now, um, where y'all from? And, you know, so I was like, yeah, well, I'm from New Jersey, but my mom has lived down here before she lived out in, um, Reedsville. Um, and now she moved here to, uh, Eden, you know, so I'm just trying to, um, you know, still get the lay of the land and everything, trying to find out where the, where the, um, the local shops are and everything. I said, you know, my favorite right now is Winn-Dixie. I love me a good Winn-Dixie. I said, we're a food lion or something. They started laughing. I said, yeah. I said, but my mom told me that Dollar General is a place to be. Don't, don't sleep on Dollar General because they have some deals. And I said, you know, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I have learned that, you know, when your money's a little bit short, 
and you need to get some stuff for your house, Dollar General. I said, I've gone in there with like $10, $15 and I could rack up on some good things, you know, some toilet paper, a little pack of meat, you know, something to drink and, uh, <laughs> you know, some, uh, some eggs and stuff. And from as soon as I said that, I mean, something simple as like personable and just being vulnerable about, yeah, you know, when money gets tight and they're like, yeah, that's right. That's right, because money gets tight out here for us. Sure enough, sure enough. And they started talking. Before I knew it, I was out there talking to those folks for like an hour and a half. By then, you know, um, they had brought out an extra chair for me, offered me something to drink. And as we were talking, you know, they're telling me about, you know, he had a, a factory job in town and and luckily he was able to stay at that job long enough before the plant closed down and everything but you know ever since their plant left there hasn't been really many good paying jobs and you know then he started talking about the the um the immigrants coming in and it wasn't like a racial undertone of talking about the immigrants he said he said and when you have folks coming in now who can uh who uh these companies and stuff these guys guys i've known for years you know, they go and they pick up these workers off the side here, you know, but, um, you know, I got my, my son and, and, um, he's like my sister's boy, you know, they looking for work and they can't find no work. And, uh, they try to go to these guys and get a job too, but you know, all the immigrants are there, you know, working. And, um, he's like, yeah, it's just real hard. You got these young people just sitting around out here and they can't build no life, no future for themselves because they ain't no jobs. And he was saying like, you know, I don't, I don't, um, ain't, how do he say it? Oh gosh, come on. My memory is like, uh, he said, okay, ain't, ain't no thing to me about, uh, immigrants working and stuff. You know, I'm sure they doing jobs that, you know, I can't do and I'm too old to be doing it. And, you know, I ain't going to be out in the sun digging and stuff like that. He was talking about people doing landscaping work, you know, any kind of side work. Um, he said, the problem is that the young guys here who could be doing the work, um, the owners of these companies who've gotten used to, you know, paying these guys. So they don't want to have to pay somebody else, you know, who they might have to pay more and expect more. And he said, you know, it's a real shame. He said, and, um, they just don't have jobs like they had when I was young. Um, so these kids, you know, we don't have the money to send them to school or nothing, even to get a trade, you know, and they're trying to just find a little job to get some money where maybe they could go, um, learn how to be a, you know, an air conditioner man or or uh, fix the lights or something, you know? And I felt sorry for them because I really realized that these were not, even though from the surface and far away, they looked like, oh, they have an attitude or a problem and they're not going to be kind people. These people, they were so kind and so open. They had struggles. They had concern about their families, like everybody. Um, and they weren't anti-immigrant. They were just hoping to find an opportunity for their own families. Um, and realizing that they didn't have the money. They knew they would never have the money to send their kids to school. Um, and even if they got loans, the, the type of debt they were going to get into, that loan debt seems so insurmountable to them. Like, oh, if we do that even though you would be, you're going into debt with a loan to get an education that would help you eventually make, uh, to get a good job, to make money, to pay off that loan, their understanding or the beliefs, you know, or their exposure to what they could, um, have employment for was so limited that they just could not see that going to school at that point, whatever, 
equate to the amount, of, the amount of money they'd have to pay back or that their their loved one would have to pay back. And, you know, the woman came out and she said to me, she goes, um, you know, everybody else got programs and things to help them, you know, go to school and get an education. Um, but all we got is either you good at sports. Um, she goes and she goes and all the, all the others are better at sports. And I was like, I'm looking at her like all the others and, but she clarified herself. She said all the others, she goes, you know, she goes, I don't mean nothing by it when I say it. She goes, but, um, a lot of these sports, uh, young black boys and girls, you know, they, they, um, are real big in these sports and they're good. They're good at, you know, what they play. So you got to be really good. She goes, I'm not saying, you know, my grandkids and stuff ain't good. They're very good at sports. She goes, but you know, you got to think if you're good and you see all these other kids good, there's like thousands of kids just as good as you. So you got to be able to have something more than just sports. You know, she said, I wish there was a program for, um, kids who came from, um, rural families or from families that have been factory uh, workers or families that have only ever had blue collar jobs and somebody wants to finally get a chance to have an education or families, you know, that, um, you know, just have, have always lived below the poverty line, something. She goes, because she goes, we are not rich folk. We're not, she goes, we're, we're, you know, we live in hand to mouth out here. And so, it was very touching and sad at the same time because I understood where she was coming from. There are programs that help to lift up, um, you know, the black, brown, and yellow communities. It's true because there has been such a, you know, transgression against our communities. However, I also see that these poor rural communities also need a leg up. I'll never forget one of my good friends who came, her family was from West Virginia. Uh, I don't know what part, it was a very small part, but you know, she was white and her parents obviously were white and they weren't around many colored folk or anything like that. And I was her first black friend. Um, and the first black friend that ever came to their house. And so they didn't know how to act, right? So, but I was just being myself and, you know, got to chatting and, um, yeah, they fell in love with me, which was fantastic. But, um, it was just like, they didn't have, you know, anything. Um, they were fairly poor. Um, and I remember her father saying to me, he said, you know, um, I always hear people talk about, privilege, privilege, you know, white privilege. Uh, he goes, well, I never knew what white privilege was. He goes, cause I ain't never have it. I ain't never had no privilege my whole life. Ain't nobody ever give me nothing. Ain't nobody ever try to give me nothing. Matter of fact, I had people, um, you know, uh, put me down and, and, and put me out. He goes, I've had, he goes, I've lost jobs out to people of all types of backgrounds. You know, he goes, I lost out to a fellow who couldn't even, um, speak the language. You know, he goes, but he, I guess he was a better worker than me. He goes, you know, I've lost out to, um, you know, folks older than me and folks younger than me. He goes, it just depends on what the situation was. He goes, and I, every time I always heard people say, you know, white privilege, white privilege, he goes, I don't have that. He said, you know, uh, until I heard, 
somebody saying it on TV because it was, it was this young black man. He was he was giving an interview on TV, and uh, it struck me. You know, he said, uh, you know, I'm not no fancy speaker or nothing. He said, but you know, you know, the young man said, white privilege means that by essence, the color of your skin um, gives you advantage over others who are non-white. And because of that, uh, of that white privilege, you were able to do and achieve and have and possess things that the rest of this nation um, are not allowed to have or, or have to work three, four, five times harder to get. He said, and I sat there and I listened to it. I sat there and listened to it. He goes, and I remember I called out to my wife and I said, Edie, 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 did you know that white privilege means that because we are white, that we should have, you know, advantages and we should be getting things that other people don't seem to have. He said, you know, she and I started laughing so hard. He said, because our color of skin never got us nothing in life. Nothing. Um, he said, and I know I, I'm no uh, person of color. I'm not black or, or Spanish or nothing like that. So I don't know. Uh, I've never experienced what, you know, those folks have experience. He goes, and I'm sure you got your own experiences. I was like, yeah, I do in my family. He said, but I'm here to tell you today. He goes, for me, for this white boy uh, from West Virginia, I never got nothing off of being white. He goes, matter of fact, white was the only thing that kept me from maybe just falling all the way to the bottom of the barrel because somebody felt sorry for me. Um, he goes, and maybe that's the privilege, that somebody felt sorry enough for me. He said, but the things I was told was like, oh, you're not doing more for yourself. You know, uh, you need to get up and pull yourself up. You, oh, you just white trash. He goes, that's what people was calling me, trash, or about me. That's the only thing that was ever associated with my white skin. And I couldn't understand it then, right? Because I was a teenager. Um, and I thought, okay, well, he can't see, um, you know, other people's struggles because he's only speaking to what he knows and what he's experienced. Now that I'm older and I'm circling this back to, we cannot say that one person's problem is less than somebody else's. Now that I'm older, I can see what he means. The only thing a lot of these people in these poor communities who happen to be white, um, quote unquote, have over others who are non-white is the color of their skin. <laughs> they don't have, you know, means or advantages or um, always opportunities, even to the sense of opportunities that other people of other groups may have. Now, does that justify bad things happening from people who come from those communities? No, but I do think it is true that the rural communities have been left behind after big businesses left, after industrialism and things like that, you know, kind of fell to the wayside and those factories went automated and things like that. Money was not pumped into those communities to transition people into new opportunities to build up uh, a generational uh, wealth of education. Now, they should also have been doing that with communities of color instead of just putting in welfare systems and getting people used to the government. Um, helping to provide uh, opportunities for them. I'm not saying all 
communities of color were on a welfare system. However, it's hand in hand. There were poor rural communities who were on the welfare system. There were poor urban communities on the welfare system. Both of these both you know, and communities should have had education be a, a paramount factor in driving the um, growth and development of each of these, um, you know, budding future leaders of our country. But that was not the case, right? So then it only became the rural uh, side was left behind. The urban communities were left behind. The only ones that were getting any kind of support, um, or I should say acknowledgement, maybe not even support, was the middle class because the middle class was getting cut off at the knees as well through money and, and taxes and things. And then all you had was like the, the upper echelon, right? Until they looked like they were living high in the hog, but they too have their own problems. If it's not money and influence, it's, you know, what is the quality of their life? Who are they? And the, the caliber of, of who they are as a person. Um, so I say all that to say again, that we cannot ever, or at least I would hope that you would try not to, I hope this will give you a a different perspective or a way to kind of pump your brakes before you think that, you know, you skin up your nose at somebody else crying about their problems or, you know, you scoff at somebody else's struggle. Because as human beings, we do that immediately. Oh, what are you crying about? Oh my gosh, you got to go to work today. What your, your six figure job? Oh, cry me a river. Oh, you're so tired today. Why are you tired? You are like a stay at home at home mom. Like, you know, people do that because that's just what they do, right? Because we're human beings, because we immediately equate everything to our situation. Oh, you know, you had a late night. Guess what? I worked like, you know, an 18 hour shift or something. Everybody equates to their own personal problem. So today in your life or today in your encounters, if you happen to hear somebody say something that maybe before you'd be like, give me a break, try to operate with a little more empathy. I'm trying to do that as well. Um, This was part of what I wanted to talk to you about, but it totally, you know, went off into something else, which is fine because it's still an important thing of uh, part of what I was feeling about. We have to meet people where they are, right? That, that, that's the bottom line, meeting people where they are and also understanding that we don't know what we don't know and everybody's struggle is different. Everybody has a different pain point um, and experience that um, molds them. And just because on the surface, they could look like somebody who's going to um, be adversarial, you may find that you have so much more in common with them than you would have ever imagined. You might actually walk away becoming better friends with somebody else or even understanding yourself better by speaking to a stranger. Um, or finding a peace within yourself that you have been looking for all this time and you find it through the words of somebody else giving you a perspective on their life. Um, and you never know, you might also help to change somebody else's life and their perspective too, just by empathy and listening and finding commonality and a ground of, um, unification, something that you can feel unified over that we are both the same. And if, there's one thing we can all feel unified on, even though those people who would want to deny it and try to lie about it or 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 try to 
um, suppress others is that we are all, all of us, all each and every one of us, human beings. And we all share love, loss, sadness, joy, happiness, and pain. Life and death. We all suffer and experience those things the same at some point in our lives. And that should be the basis for throwing away all the other nonsense, all the other BS, and just moving toward a place of peace. Because that's all we really want at the end of the day. Everyone wants their, the people they love to be happy, to be safe, to be cared for, to be fed, to be provided for, to be protected. And just to have something to look forward to in life. Something that is a joy and not a terror. Something that is a blessing and not a curse. Something that you can build on and dream about. That's what we all really want. Yeah. That's what I want. And I want that for you too. So guys, it's been a pleasure today and it was a rambling uh, <laughs> event, but uh, thank you for listening. I still, there's some more I, I really wanted to talk to you about and uh, hopefully I will get another chance to plug in and uh, check back in with you and download some more, um, thoughts, feelings, and rambles. <laughs> um, it's been my pleasure as always spending time with you today, friends, and I'm wishing you all the best and I will be talking with you soon. Take care.